Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Over, over recent podcasts in uh, this particular series, I've been looking at the uh, issue of how uh, various players, various actors use social media to communicate and why they uh, use the methods they do. And it, it's involved looking at, uh, for example, uh, Russia and China as operatives in the case of Quanon conspiracies, as well as uh, far-right groups, extreme-right groups that use social media to propagate their ideologies. Well, today we're looking at a particular report that's been published by uh, the Oxford Internet Institute, which is a part of the Oxford University in the United Kingdom. And this report is titled China's Public Diplomacy Operations. The report takes a deep dive into how Chinese diplomats and other operatives use social media to funnel out, to push out Chinese propaganda, or the Chinese line of things, if you prefer that phraseology. I'm being joined by the principal author of this report, Marcel Schriebs, who is uh, with the Oxford Internet Institute. He's going to take us through the findings, how they got there, and what the implications are. Marcel, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, before we begin, uh, you work in an interesting place, but you, you've probably got a history that's worthwhile telling the listeners. How would your career uh, look if you would have outlined it on the back of an envelope, Marcel? <laughs> Well, thank you for having me again. Um, my career, I would say, is still at the at, at a, rather at its very beginning. Um, so I'm currently, um, as you said, at based at the Oxford Internet Institute, which is a department, um, an independent department of the University of Oxford. So just as the maths or biology department, there's also an internet department. Um, and that's where I'm both uh, a researcher in the program on democracy and, and technology, which studies the role of, of technology and the internet um, on, on democracy and democratic processes, as well as a PhD student who um, uh, and, and researching um, the effects of um, foreign state-backed information operations on um, people's attitudes and, and political behaviors. Um, now I said where I where I'm where I'm currently, um, and um, in the past I've also worked in a couple of um, international organizations. During my studies, uh, interned in a diplomatic mission um, of my home country Germany, um, and, um, and have a background in kind of political science with methodology, statistics, data science. It's pretty extensive, and um, you're probably finding the, the, the work you're doing towards the doctorate uh, fairly fascinating, aren't you? Uh, definitely, yes. It's uh, the a a uh, it's 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 a great thing uh, to have something one one's passionate about to to research, but sometimes also a risk of. Uh, finding it difficult to, to, to let go and take one's breaks, um, especially in the world where so much of, of what you're studying is, is dynamically going on at the moment. It, and and th that's true. Uh, what 
if we can look at the report that's recently come out, Marcel, um, there are a range of issues that are embedded in there which are fascinating in their own right. If we can start with um, the, the very basic proposition of what prompted a look at the way in which Chinese diplomats use social media? Uh, how did how did the, this report come about? Um, so we observed, obviously, as we are, the Internet Department and the Program on Democracy and Technology in particular, studying how governments and states are using it to, to work towards their goals, communicate with global audiences, etc. We were noticing a sharp increase um, starting let's say mid 2019 possibly it's always difficult to speculate what might have triggered it but possibly around um the events in hong kong um taking taking place and speeding up but later especially during 2020 um the COVID pandemic we noticed um Chinese, or as we usually uh, like to call them, PRC diplomats, um, to, to rightfully attribute um, their behavior to the state they're working for. Um, PRC diplomats joining Twitter in, in masses, really, um, about nearly 200 uh, diplomatic accounts having joined the platform by now, and um, about three quarters, so the vast majority of them having joined in just these like, past two years, approximately. Um, and uh, these accounts being present really globally um, in total in in at least 126 countries um, where we found uh, PSC diplomats to be stationed uh, on uh, active on Facebook and Twitter, and that that uh, led us to the question to ask a, a little closer um, how what are they what are they talking about how much are, are they tweeting how are the platforms dealing with it. And last but not least, but very importantly, um, is the engagement and is the attention they're getting genuine from the local audiences they might be willing to reach? Or is it also artificially amplified and inflated? Um, and that has, of course, its own implication of itself. Before we go into a discussion of the results, which so the, the headline uh, of any piece of research like this, can you explain um, how you harvested the social media posts? What did you have to do to get the data? Sure, yeah. Um, we would probably call it collect rather than harvest to, to make it uh, <laughs> sound less surveillant, but... Um, as researchers, we, we're trying to to get the data we need um, always within the bound within the both legal and ethical boundaries, and and we 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 have very strict guidelines also to to what you're allowed to collect and what kind of personal information, etc. So um, uh, we're always trying to 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 respect that closely. Now, in terms of the process, um, this was a quite long term um, investigation. Um, over several months that we that we conducted uh, um, also together with with a research partner, um, the Associated Press. Um, and what we did is we compiled a list um, 
with with a couple of people going through very extensively um, and and combining multiple sources of all diplomat <coughs> the, sorry, diplomatic Twitter accounts we could find, um, Twitter and Facebook accounts, I should say. Um, and of course, it's possible we missed a, a couple or, or or some also joined the platform after we started data collecting and, and we might have not caught up all of them, but we got a pretty uh, complete sample of, of, of those. And now what we used is um, an API, um, advanced programming interface, um, application programming interface um, by Twitter that allows us to say, for example, on a 24 seven live basis um, on our server, be collecting any tweet that any of these accounts in our target list is making. And as well, retweet and reply engagement that these accounts are getting. So we, we were having a server running for nearly a year now 24 seven and um, you can imagine it as a as kind of a big uh, big ear listening to, to the to the Twitter world and not collecting everything but uh, uh, everything that that has a certain selector term in, in, the, in and in our case that's the username of, of one of these diplomats um, and that's kind of how we collected the data and then the second step is is of course, analyzing it. And there we have uh, a total of several millions of, of tweets uh, collected. And we then run them through through databases and, and statistical programming software, et cetera, to, to get at all the, all the results that we then uh, report on in, in our, to, in our to findings. What, to what extent uh, did you end up to filter topics or um, to, to get to specific issues in the data. To what extent did you end up having to use keywords or hashtags? Um, in this specific research, not, at, not, not really at all, because it was really based on collecting um, the, the data based on the list of accounts we had. And we we're very strict to limit it to, to PSC diplomats or state media outlets in this specific case. So we wouldn't, uh, in this particular report, have caught, say, any pro-China or pro-PRC accounts that were operating independent of the, the diplomatic accounts and just okay. tweeting out something. We did re refer to or resort to kind of hashtags and keywords a little bit in, in a dedicated case study we did. Um, on coordinated networks that, that are amplifying the PSC diplomats stationed in London um, that, that we kind of did as a zoom in case study. And there we found kind of also language patterns uh, of, of accounts suggesting coordination, but um, that was rather kind of a detection method rather than a data collection. Okay, so in, it, is it appropriate for me to describe what you've done basically a you've casted the net um you've gotten the key diplomatic accounts that you were aware of as well as state media accounts and whatever was posted on those accounts between june 2020 up until february this year was the yes. was the sample basically 
but basically that's true yes and and of course there's also always little percentages of data one misses when doing that we had a couple of electricity outages in our server room in the basement and, and so on so it, the sample is like maybe 99% complete and, and you never get a full sample but <laughs> as long as the kind of what you're missing is not systematic in any way uh, your results will still be a confident uh, conservative baseline and maybe the true numbers are a couple of uh, digits higher but not significantly now the thing that staggered me um, in looking at the report, if we can turn to the results now, is the eye-watering number of uh, tweets that went out from diplomats. So I'm looking at it right now myself, and it said, your report says that PRC diplomats tweeted 201,382 times averaging 778 times a day over the nine-month period you examined. Um, and then, yeah, there was a multiplier effect. Um, how, what was your reaction when you saw those numbers? I wasn't surprised if, because I've, I've been watching some of these accounts qualitatively for quite a bit. So, see checking every day what, what they're what they're doing on the platform and they have become um or, or let's say the tweeting has become quite a, a significant part of the daily activity that uh a diplomat seems to be undertaking now we don't know of course if they're if they're doing it themselves or whether they have their proper which is likely their proper staffers um for do, for doing the social media engagement but kind of if you look at the diplomatic mission as a whole thing, um, reaching out to local um, audiences in the respective host countries has become a, a core activity. Um, and in the case of the diplomats, what's further interesting is that um, a large number of their tweets, um, I think 100, nearly 140,000 of these 200,000 that you mentioned, aren't kind of proper own tweets where they um, where they come up with a new tweet and new text, but are either retweets or quote tweets. And many of them, uh, a large percentage of these retweets and quote tweets off the Chinese um, state media outlets. So they, they're really having kind of also are playing a amplifier role where the diplomats themselves are retweeting or, or amplifying Chinese state media content and thereby maybe acting as bridges, at least in, in, in the ideal strategy that they might be following, acting as bridges into the local communities to convey the, the Chinese messaging included in the state media content. Now, the content you say in the report is fairly aggressive and is targeted at, at Western uh, uh, Western democratic institutions, Western countries. Um, we had an instance here in Australia last November where one of the so-called wolf warrior foreign affairs officials uh, decided uh, they would comment on a controversial report that related to um, allegations of Australian soldiers in Afghanistan committing war crimes. Um, 
you would have seen that tweet and some of the uh, things around yes, it. Sir. Is that a typical tactic that is employed by Chinese diplomats uh, across topics um, from your observation? Um, yes, I would say definitely we've observed recently China shifting um, from a more defensive approach, maybe where the where the key focus was of was to um, to defend or uphold a positive image of of China abroad um, around issues such as um, freedoms, civil freedoms in 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 Hong Kong, the Xinjiang issue. Um, a shift towards more aggressive stance or assertive slash aggressive in in commenting on events in in, in Western uh, democracies. We've seen it um, around the Capitol riots in the in the United States, um, where partly based on on uh, on of course events that that were true and happened, but the Chinese. Um, Diplomats, state media, and and other um, other accounts were trying to uh, really push and promote the issue that it's a sign of how broken U.S. democracy is, how hypercritical it is. We've seen it around COVID, where um, countries um, like the U.K. were were heavily uh, criticized, where um, parts of accounts we found to be uh, amplifying the diplomats here were pushing the narrative that the UK government's policies were killing its citizens and and so on. So we see we see a more see a more uh, assertive and proactive approach, and I think that's also what what happened in in Australia in November. And we can talk maybe about the overlap um, between uh, the findings of our report and and what happened back then a little bit as well with inauthentic amplification in particular. I think the, the uh, a recent report from um, Supan Group in the United States also highlighted the fact that China capitalized on aspects of the Kwanon conspiracy, conspiracy uh, as did as did Russia. So the, the findings of your research in the context of the uh, the way in which uh, foreign actors seek to intervene in the, I guess, the affairs or domestic discussion in other countries, that the findings are quite consistent. It looks at least going into the same direction. I, I, I have a report, I have read the QAnon report in particular, but from what I've seen, um, it, that is that definitely um, uh, Chinese actors are, are you, what going they... for an, a proactive approach and, and partly... During COVID, also we've seen conspiracy theories about COVID coming from a United States Army biolaboratory, etc., being promoted by by Chinese state actors. It's actually really interesting because there was another report um, uh, released not so long ago by the Rand Corporation in the US, as well, that looked at uh, certain conspiracy theories um, and how machine learning can help detect them. And of course, the origin of COVID was one of those uh, particular uh, conspiracy theories that was looked at in that study. There'd been quite a bit of work in the in the space within a very short, uh, short space of time by multiple people, multiple institutions. And it's actually quite, um, quite daunting when you read one report after another. Um, and trying to work out how you 
uh, you as one person get to understand what all these people have been working on. You, we mentioned the way the diplomats work, um, the social media, uh, and I, I suspect that the, the state media outlets are a little bit different, although the messaging may be the same. Uh, what, what, what did you find when you look more closely at state media outlets in China and how they use social media? Um, I, but I think you have to look at them as media outlets in a way that they're that they're trying to promote their content they're producing, um, as are many other media outlets around the world uh, doing. Um, they they're of course sharing their content. They're um, they're amplifying it through their social media channels. So I think. Um, is probably that there's probably less something unique or distinct to how they're operating in terms of distributing their content um, compared to other media outlets around the world. I think what is distinct is that, um, and it has been clearly shown by scholars who are studying um, and who are much more expert on on Chinese domestic governance uh, who have shown that that these Chinese state media outlets are part of a highly concerted effort where narratives are kind of cooked in a central kitchen of of narratives to be then um, disseminated uh, globally to the world with high influence of the of the Chinese government also the, the often or mostly overlapping with the Chinese Communist Party organs and 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 their uh, foreign foreign policy, foreign propaganda departments. So I think that's kind of the most distinctive uh, uh, part. Now, this the report we did isn't the content analysis of what they reported on. We've looked at it also a little bit, but it was in the end too much content to to put all of this in the report. But if we look at it at the content, we we also we see that they're. Um, Propagating a variety of different narratives, um, some about praising uh, China, praising Chinese economic growth, um, praising Chinese so-called what they always call poverty elevation, alleviation, um, uh, etc. But also the the things you mentioned before, criticizing other countries, criticizing democracies um, for their. Uh, handling of events in a wide range from COVID over elections, um, the, the war crime allegations you mentioned, etc. Now, the question I haven't yet asked, and the question that is probably um, critical for us to tackle is um, who will who is the ultimate audience for these Twitter posts, the, the Facebook posts that you looked at? Uh, it, yes, the, the posts, for example, in the case of Australia with the uh, issue of allegations of um, war crimes committed by uh, soldiers. Um, yes, that will get a response from Australia, but who, who do you think is the ultimate audience for these tweets? That's a great question, and I don't have a definite de definite answer yet. 
as I'm just starting to explore this space a little bit better. And a, a part of this, of course, are also opaque because I can't look into the central um, propaganda kitchen uh, where, where, where the CCP is, is cooking its recipes. But on the other hand, um, if we look at just the data and, and what, what's happening and combine that maybe with, with, a, with a sense of, of the larger picture, I think um, there certainly is a desire by the Chinese government to reach global audiences and local audiences in this respective global countries that they're targeting. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense to publish in so many dozens of uh, languages in not only English and, and French and Spanish, but also uh, in German, in Russian, in Urdu, in uh, Portuguese, in, every, in, in any language you can imagine. Um, the, these respective publications, but in the case of Australia in English, um, and and trying to go into these uh, social media networks used by by global audiences. So some of it must be trying to um, trying to influence local global populations. And if you look at the concept of public diplomacy which is also featured in the title of our report. It's the concept of trying to reach some foreign, foreign policy outcome, not by doing traditional diplomacy with diplomats meeting and negotiating or, or exchanging um, uh, papers, uh, pieces of paper, but reaching po policy outcomes by trying to influence foreign populations who then in return um, influence their respective governments to do something you want. And, and if you look through it, through it from that angle, I think there's reason to assume that, that they're trying to reach Western audiences. If they're successful is another question, maybe. Um, and in addition to, to the foreign populations, I would assume foreign elites, political elites, media, intellectual elites as well. The elite word is always like a, a little bit difficult to use and, and define, but it, uh, we, we're all aware, I think that even more so than by a wide range of the population, especially Twitter is used by politicians, by journalists, by policymakers, by business, business people, academics. So I think it's a it's a place where strategically they have an interest in in painting a, a positive image of, of China and promoting uh, their own geopolitical interests. There is another interesting element to this, though, that, that maybe worthwhile highlighting and you can tell me if I've got this wrong but um, governments that are uh, for want of a better word um, very controlling of their populations um, totalitarian if you like uh -huh. um, don't welcome much don't welcome too much in the way of criticism from their diaspora, you know, the former citizens, you know, the the Chinese that have left the country and and, and uh, outspoken about the regime and what it does. Uh, to what extent do you think the way in which China does this, and and other countries that may do this as well, but China particularly, to to what extent is it a 
an attempt to remind the diaspora that they that they uh, exist, that they've that they've got a larger footprint uh, globally in terms of communications, and that they that they're monitoring what's going on in various countries. I think that's an element that that certainly plays a role, um, and explains why um, maybe they also the the they they also have their Mandarin um, editions of the state media still being broadcast around the world to to target these. Um, but it's a lot of speculation here for me because I again I'm I'm just more like studying and monitoring the the activity without yet having uh, a very deep understanding of the inner reasoning of 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 why and and how they're conducting their operations it's a bit, it, it's a fascinating question which is but what are the what are the many layers of motivation that drive yes, definitely. it be, and because, I think it's a mix of all of what we've talked about yeah, the um, it, on the one hand, you've got uh, diplomats using Twitter and Facebook uh, fairly successfully getting some people in the West riled, uh, state media doing the same. Um, you, have you looked at uh, the response from Western countries in any great detail to what Chinese diplomats have said. Um, we haven't we haven't studied the Western responses systematically yet, but I think from from um, the great challenge for 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 Western or for global governments really dealing with this is that first um, it's a highly asymmetrical situation because. Most of the countries that are being heavily targeted have liberal freedoms, have freedom of expression and freedom of press. And we therefore allow the Chinese diplomats to join our platforms and express their, their views and their, their, you might call some of it propaganda, while at the same time, they're denying their own citizens the free access to, to really any form of, of, of free flows of information. So it's really an, a one-sided, megaphone that we, we've allowed them to build. Um, and that's the first challenge of, of how to deal with that, how to calibrate our response um, at the kind of between weighing on the one hand, upholding what we stand for, uh, liberty of, of freedom of expression and freedom of speech. And then on the other hand, regulating malign efforts to, to, to get involved and, and influence our populations. And then the second question from the other direction is maybe uh, how far should we go in react in reacting and how much attention should we give it? Um, and that question is ultimately also connected to the question of effects and, and how effective the strategy really is, um, how well it is able to reach genuine local audiences and influence their, their attitudes and behaviors. Because it, if it's not, um, reacting too strongly might be um, a disproportionate response, um, uh, having contraproductive effects, maybe even. There is an interesting question that I, I, 
I, I need to ask, and I'm, I'm very mindful of the time, but the, uh, the various social media platforms allow people to use their uh, channels um, relatively freely until they find a reason to get concerned about them. Um, what are your observations in relation to the manner in which accounts were suspended by Twitter? I, I saw this mentioned in the report. It's a fascinating point. Are you able to share some of your observations on that point? Sure. So um, with Twitter in particular, there's uh, for both outside researchers as well as as the firm and the company probably, there's a challenge that on that even more so on Twitter than on other platforms. There isn't really a um, norm of um, of having a publicly recognizable presence where people use a real name or even a, a, a real photograph. Um, and, and it's perfectly the norm that people are using it pseudonymously or anonymously. And I'm not saying that it's something bad, but it's a challenge. Um, in terms of maybe also why the Twitter was more the focus of our analysis on account suspensions, inauthentic activity, coordination, etc. You have to give them some credit because um, they're doing a reasonably good job at making um, data, especially at the micro level, available to researchers. So, for example, it would have been very difficult to do the same detailed analysis for Facebook, which which is yet to come in the future. If we look at kind of the suspensions and suspended accounts, um, we our methodology was to, as I said, record any engagement, retweet, reply of, of a Chinese to a Chinese diplomat, and then a few months later go back and check is the account still there or or has it been suspended. And if we look at the suspended accounts in particular and what patterns we find, um, we find that uh, numerous of them are created in, in maybe call them bulks of, with very similar naming patterns, like a, a generic first name and then a few numbers created within a few minutes. We have many that are um, what we call super spreaders of, of Chinese diplomats that retweet Chinese diplomats hundreds or even thousands of times over just a few months and rarely retweet anyone else. And, it, and in the case of, of the tweet you mentioned earlier, the November 30th um, one uh, concerning Australia, um, I've also in the preparation for our, our conversation looked a little bit at these yeah, nearly 12,000 retweets that, that it got. Um, and within there, they were both suspended but also still active accounts that showed quite um, suspicious forms of behavior. Um, if you look at, for example, the account creation dates, uh, I think over 250 accounts which created just in the um, two days or three days after this November 30th tweet happened. And among these, many actually were created then only retweeted that one tweet um, criticizing Australia for, for um, with the with the fake image of the Australian soldier with the knife, um, and I never retweeted anything again, and just went dormant again. So there seems to be 
some clear uh, patterns of, of inauthenticity um, in, were, in the promotion of that tweet. So the, in that tweet particularly, you noticed um, accounts that were basically inactive for a period. They, they promoted this particular um, Wolf Warrior tweet featuring the criticism of Australia. And then after that, there was nothing, nothing much from certain accounts. I think that's fair to say. Plus, plus uh, several hundreds of them even just being created on the day where the tweet happened or the two days after. And then retweeting it and then nothing again afterwards. It's an interesting observation. Um, Marcel, it, it, just to wrap things up, um, where, sure. where do you take the next step with the, with the data? Because you've got to, it is, I would imagine there are various themes that have emerged from your looking at the data. Um, and there'll be a lot, there's probably scope for more research. Uh, well, where do you go to from this particular report on Chinese public diplomacy operations? The ultimate question that that's, I think is most relevant and, and needs to be addressed, but is incredibly challenging methodologically, is trying to understand what to make of this in terms of impact on on our real genuine uh, populations being active on these social media platforms. Does it, are, are the Chinese diplomats able to um, gain hundreds of thousands or even millions of, of likes, retweets and, and, and comments on the platforms? Yes. Um, is all this engagement genuine? No, there's certainly inauthentic amplification, artificial inflation of, of content. But the core question that, that is still open is um, how many real users in, in the countries they're targeting are they actually reaching with their content? How many people are seeing it? And what does it do with these people? Um, is, it, it, is it successful in, in shaping their image of, of, of China, of Chinese positions? Or is it largely kind of an ineffective a big megaphone shouting out into the world in Wayne. And these questions are incredibly difficult to study with lots of methodological, uh, legal, ethical boundaries uh, that you need to respect because uh, you can't just do experiments manipulating people in the wild and then seeing what happens, um, especially with such controversial topics. So you need to be very careful and methodologically innovative. But I think it's the core question to ultimately answering how to how to respond to that regulatorily and and um, and as as liberal democracies how to how to deal with this uh, efforts from from elsewhere to to meddle in in, in our liberal uh, discourse and we've uh, just finally uh, anyone that listens to this podcast um, and is interested in what you're doing and what the Oxford Internet Institute is doing, where can they go online, Marcel? Um, I think they can best go to, to our website directly, which is, as all British universities, quite long with a lot of dots. It's 
uh, oii.ox.ac.uk or they can just Google Oxford Internet Institute um, and, and, and myself and they'll find me, my, my academic page, Twitter, etc. And if, if there's any questions from, from audience members on the report, the findings or methods, we are of course happy to, to engage and, and respond to that. Marcel, uh, thank you for, for that offer to engage with anyone that listens to the podcast, but also thank you for your time to, in explaining the, the, the interesting findings and the methodology uh, that went into looking at the most recent report from the Oxford Institute, um, Internet Institute on China's public diplomacy operations. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I look forward to I look forward to talking to you again some stage. Sure.